Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 100 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities. IberiaBank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Every nation on earth has come up with its own currency. As you know, if you travel or trade in the currency market, the power of what you can do with a dollar, a pound, or a peso varies widely from country to country. However, around the globe, wherever we live, from Nairobi to New Orleans, there's one commodity that's universally prized precious and traded on a worldwide market, and that commodity is gold. You might be surprised to learn that even though we don't mind it here in Louisiana, one of the country's leading experts on gold lives right here. Brian London is CEO and president of Jefferson Financial. He's also the editor of the Gold Newsletter, the longest running and one of the leading journals on gold and precious metals in the world. Brian is also the principal of the prestigious New Orleans Investment Conference, an annual event that's been running for 40 years, featuring wide-ranging lists of financial luminaries from Margaret Thatcher to Ron Paul. Uh, Brian, welcome out to lunch. Great to be with you, Peter. One of the interesting facts about gold and precious metals is that they're one of the few investments you can wear. Around the world, in many cultures, gold and gems are fashioned into jewelry that are both adornments of beauty and symbols of social status, like engagement or, or wedding rings. Here in New Orleans, for over a century, one of the sources for jewelry has been Adler's. Founded in the French Quarter by Coleman Adler, the company has grown over the years and through all the expansion has remained a family-run business. Fourth generation Tiffany Adler is the current vice president. Tiffany, welcomed out to lunch. Thank you for having me. Let's start with the uh, most obvious uh, question, Brian. A uh, real basic question about how you actually invest in gold. Uh, how does it work when someone <clears throat> wants to buy gold as an investment? Where do they go to purchase it? And when you do invest in gold, are you buying into a stockpile somewhere, or are you physically buying pieces of gold that you take home and you put in a safe? Now there's so many different ways to do it, from literally buying coins and burying it in your backyard like the, uh, they used to do in the old days, but you can buy uh, ETFs that actually are, are paper representations of physical gold holdings. You can buy gold and have it stored somewhere. You can buy the gold mining companies. You can do it in the futures and options exchanges. And now there are ways to, to buy gold, or will soon be ways to buy gold, based on the Bitcoin infrastructure. So you can wow. own a call on gold, and it is just like a cryptocurrency. It's a crypto gold holding. And that kind of embodies a lot of the uh, uh, other aspects of gold as far as financial privacy and liquidity. And what about increments? Uh, do you need uh, you know, $100,000 to take a No, you can, you can buy gold in as, as little or gold coins, bullion coins, in as little as uh, a quarter or one-twentieth of an ounce. 
or one-tenth of an ounce, but the premiums go up. Your, your, your cost over the bullion melt value goes up the smaller the coin is. And, and you can go as high as, say, a 400-ounce good delivery bar, which is what the central banks typically store, where the premium is low, but the weight's pretty heavy. Now, late at night, I see ads for gold coins on TV. Is that yeah. the way people should invest, or should they uh, go to abs Absolutely not, no. <laughs> if somebody is paying, and they'll sell you gold on television commercials, at cost, et cetera, but you, have, you know you have to pay for that somehow. And what you will be paid paying for is you'll be kind of hounded by salespeople to buy other coins that are marked up more over their bullion value, whether it be rare coins, numismatic coins, which are a valid way to invest, but demand really a, a good bit of education to make sure you're, you're getting good value. You know, I'm going to ask you one other question I've been wanting to ask about gold, and that is, in the last three years, the price has gone down about 40%, mm -hmm. stocks have gone up, up about 60%. What's doing that? Well, there's... It's a long and sordid story, to tell you the truth, but it started that gold began, a, uh, really its longest bull market since it's been free trading in around 2000. And it kept going up and, and really outpaced every other asset class through 2011 where it peaked. And what happened then was the Fed announced QE3, or unlimited quantitative easing, and Keeping rates basically at zero. Yeah, and there's been a lot of hijinks played in the market with high-frequency traders, but it's been a general decline since the summer of 2011. Uh, Tiffany, there are retail businesses that are to some extent immune from changes in the market. For example, even in bad times, we're still going to die, which is security for coffin manufacturers. But likewise, we're always going to get engaged and married. How much of your retail business is couples buying diamond and gold rings, is it substantial or is that just a small segment of, of what you do over there? No, actually it's one of the first interactions that we have with potential long-term lifetime customers. That's actually how um, local jewelers, mom and pop stores became gift stores and oh. sold stationery and leather goods and, and china patterns and silver because it was an, basically an add-on sale to the engagement ring. So a young man would come in and buy an engagement ring, and right behind him, the salesman over the counter, would be a shadow box that had a place setting in it, it had wedding invitations, it had uh -huh. groomsmen's and bridesmaids attendance gifts. So it was just a way to capture the customer from going somewhere else, and, and that's how Adler's and Hausman's and Leonard Crower, all, those are all old New Orleans names of companies, that were in similar businesses to us. That's how you started your customer base. Wow, now if you are a family business, and you've mentioned fourth yes. generation, uh, did you, were you working there like as a little kid? So I started when I was about 11 years old, and I started cleaning the silver novelties. Oh. We even had sterling silver telephone dialers <laughs> and at that time, and uh, my job was to make sure they were tarnish free and that their price tags were correct and that they were clean. So that's what I got to do in the summers instead of after I finished being interested in going away to camp. Now, how do you compete against the big uh, jewelers that are in all 50 states or such? I mean, it's got to be kind of a game plan. Well, we really ha are very fortunate that we have a multi-generational clientele. We span all of the Gulf South, everywhere from Texas to South Florida to Northern Alabama and Georgia and 
we, we've, we are a regional destination for a lot of people. So that's helpful, that's helpful. We don't really know that we compete on a national level. But, those but we're strong the regional, you know, we're a brand here. Yeah. And Adler means more to people in our area than some of the other names. Are you at a higher price point than like a Zale or somebody like that? Is that? Well, I like to think that we have something for everybody in every price range. It all depends on what you want. So Zales, I would assume, their typical engagement ring first purchase is $1,500 to $2,000. Yep. And possibly lower than that. And, I, and we try to have some of that where Zales is uh, near us. For instance, it's directly across the mall in our Lakeside oh, store. That's right, yeah. Where we've been for 35 years. So I think we get shopped by the Zale customer, but I'm not sure how much of those we turn into sales, but we can certainly make, make anything for anybody. How about that? Price range. How about that actual event where the uh, the fiance and the, and his and his bride to be uh, show up at the store? I mean, is that you've probably seen that work out lots of different ways? Um, Fist fights, romantic <laughs> scenes. <laughs> Mostly, it's driven by the the female. Okay. I mean the the bride is most interested in what size and shape, and um, she has specific ideas about the style of ring, and the fella has an idea of how much he's going to spend. <laughs> and uh, the talent it lies true. in the salesman who can get them to agree and, <laughs> and make everybody happy. Do you ever see people who think, God, this marriage isn't going to work? It's sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, but mostly they've, they're pretty educated today and they come in, you know, it's not always a surprise. I think that the drama that has gone on lately is about how to choreograph your engagement and record it and post it on YouTube's and how many, how many likes do you get? <laughs> that seems to be the big thing now. Now here's a question that will tie the two of you together. What about when gold and silver prices fluctuate? Uh, how does that affect your business? The watch companies is where we see it, mostly because that's suggested oh, manufacturers yeah. retail pricing. So we'll get an updated price list based on the price of their their materials. So that, that affected us greatly when gold went close to 2,000 mm -hmm. an ounce. And Brian, when, when gold did go all the way up uh, towards 2,000, uh, we kept hearing ads and, and signs out on the street saying, sell your gold or whatever. Right. What goes on in those <coughs> places? Well, they, they kind of took advantage of people. There was a business model back then where they would advertise, send us your gold and we'll, and we'll tell you what it's worth. So people would bag up the little, their little pieces of gold, whatever they had lying around, they'd send it into this company, and the company would send them a check. And they would play on the people's uh, uh, tendency to say, well, cash in hand, I'll take this offer. And they would cash the check, so that by cashing the check, you accepted the offer. But what would happen is the, the typical margins for the company, they would only pay about 60 to 70% of what the gold was actually worth. Whereas if they went to some reputable jeweler, or to a reputable bullion or coin store, they would get closer to 90, 95% of the, the bullion price. So it was a really a, a brilliant business model, but it, it really took advantage of people. Wow, and the other thing I was thinking about with that is, uh, uh, you got, of course you got nothing, it was probably in the form of a watch or something like that, mm -hmm. and you got nothing for that part, you just, just the weight of the gold, right? Right, well, 
watch watches and jewelry are tend to be valued more on their artistic value, the values of the stones, et cetera. There's generally not that much precious metal in them to make a huge difference until the price of, of gold, for example, gets really, really high. And in watches would take more gold than say a ring or, or most jewelry. But jewelry is a, is a completely different category where the precious metals value represents a, a far smaller uh, uh, portion of the value of the item. Well, now, Tiffany, did you ever get people that, I guess, do you do uh, uh, deal in uh, used jewelry? Do we do, we have a nice estate section. Um, about 20 years ago, we purchased Waldhorn, which is the oldest antique store in the French Quarter. Oh, yeah. We had a nice antique jewelry business that we had developed through Waldhorn and Adler. And um, we do deal in secondhand estate, mid-century pieces. Now it's the time in the show where we do the checklist. It's a part of the show where we take a little break and, and ask you a quick question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. I'm going to start with uh, Brian. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self, if you could? Probably to buy Apple stock. <laughs> that would have been, that would have probably been the thing to do. Well, a, uh, very practical. And Tiffany, um, do you play a musical instrument? And, uh, if you do, which one? All right. I do. Um, I play the flute and the piccolo. Whoa. I was going into college as a music major. Really? Didn't continue. Yes, I went to LSU and started as a music major with the idea that I was going to be a band director and a music educator. And um, then you realized you had this company business. Well, then my father's assistant decided on the 15th of December that she was moving to Florida, and my father called and said, "Would you please come back to work?" <laughs> I said, "Okay, I'll go back to college one day," and I never have, um, but I still play the flute. I was going to say, would you just play at home or? Uh? No, I'm a member of the New Orleans Concert Band, which is a 40-year-old community band of about 80 people, and we rehearse at UNO uh, 10 months a year, and we give six concerts. Four of them are at UNO, and two of them are off-site. Uh, we've partnered recently with the LPO and in their family concert series. So it's a great way to, um, to set your business mind on, on the shelf and focus on what's in front of you. You know, when, back to your business side, do you get people now that uh, compare pricing and shop online? Has that all become a big part of? What's really quite unbelievable is they do it right in front of you. <laughs> and they'll take a watch and you'll be showing them a watch. They'll ask you what the style number is and put it into their phone right in front of you and say, I can get it for less on Amazon. Wow. Yeah. How do you right deal with that? We don't negotiate with the internet. Okay. That's yeah. my answer, is yeah. that you're coming to us because of what service we can provide for you today and beyond. The internet is not giving you that. You have a faceless website with no accountability on the other end, and you're spending a lot of money on something that you're going to want a warranty on, you're going to want me to stand behind it, you're going to want our watchmaker to check things out. I can't, I'm not competing with the internet. That's my answer. That's a, that's a good way to do <laughs> it. They, uh. I'm just not, we just can't. We just can't. We can't provide all the service if they take all the profit out of it for us. 
Now, Brian, let me ask you about the, how is the worldwide price of gold set? Uh, you know, we, we know if you wanted to buy a share of <laughs> IBM, all the shares are traded uh, in that one spot in New York. Uh, how's, how's gold determined? Well, from a practical standpoint, it's set in New York trading on the COMEX, really for the world. And what's happened is there's been a lot of speculation on the futures exchanges, kind of a, a perpetual short on the market. And that's driven the price a lot lower relative to the, what the rest of the world values gold as. So what's happened is that demand in Asia, where gold has a big uh, cultural aspect as far as a tool of uh, savings, demand in Asia has soared as the price has been driven lower. And all of the gold is running from west to east. The, the vaults, quite literally, in the U.S. are running dry. It's being shipped to the east. So that's one of the factors right now that's uh, going to eventually affect the gold market is when the physical supplies in the west get to the point where it impacts the trading in paper gold or futures and options. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, you don't have this issue with equities, but uh, you have the price versus the physical holdings of these. Right. Gold. Does it make any difference to an investor if there's more gold in Asia than there is in uh, North America? No, not from an investor. He can always buy it, will always be able to buy it. But there is gold that backs the, the, the trading on the COMEX. For every futures contract or, or option contract on COMEX, there's typically uh, 30, 40, 50, uh, or 130 or 140 or 150th of that amount of gold physically in the warehouses. In other words, there's usually about 40 or 50 claims for every ounce of gold in the warehouse. Right now, that's soared to where it's over 200 claims for every ounce of gold. So people are looking at that as a sign of physical tightness. Is that warehouse, in fact, in Jefferson Parish? No, it isn't. <laughs> no, it isn't. Nowhere I know of. <laughs> and is all gold equal? Are there uh, um, better golds than other golds? I guess it would be the, the, the purity. Would that be it? Purity is not a big factor because in bullion coins, it's all either 0.99 or 0 0.999, uh, it, it, it varies. Now there is something in Asia where, where high carat jewelry, usually 22 carat jewelry, is actually used as a form of money or, a mo or of savings. Um, you don't usually get that high of, of, of uh, jewelry, purity of jewelry used in the, in the West, but it is in Asia because it's actually used as a physical form of savings. Is these people that argue that we should go back on the gold standard, what, mm -hmm. what's behind that argument? Well, what's behind the argument is that if a currency is not backed by gold, then it's backed by the promises of government, and eventually those promises will be uh, uh, made out to be false, and that governments historically have always debased the currency. Um, if you look at the United States, for example, when they took silver out of the coinage in 1966, the dollars lost about 90% of its purchasing power since then, and that's based on the government's own CPI statistics. So, you know, historians looking back centuries from now will look at that and say, wow, the currency collapsed. But us living through it, it's like the frog in the water that's just gradually increases its, the temperature until it's boiling. We don't really feel it. But over 50 years, you know, the dollar's lost 90% of its purchasing power. Hi, in London, Tiffany Adler. Of all the things that come and go in the economy, and in life for that matter, one of the constants is gold. Uh, gold's precious metals, the gems, these are permanent. 
and their value is universal. Even so, dealing in gems and precious metals is not exactly risk-free. It's been great getting to know about the businesses from your perspectives, which are both local and worldwide. Thank you, Tiffany and Brian, for taking the time on joining me uh, here at Out to Lunch. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, folks. Uh, my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Brian London, CEO and President of Jefferson Financial and editor of the Gold Newsletter, and Tiffany Adler, Vice President of Adler's. You can find out more about Brian's gold and Tiffany's jewelry by following the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday, with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. The always chipper Jennifer Brady is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's new record, Puzzle, is out now. You can find out more about that at MitchellForeman.com. You can get the show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's neworleans.com and www.no.org. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting. For itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM, I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 100 128 years and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities, iberiabank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and 30 North Investments.